Tim, you know how to do the recording. Um, I'm... Yeah, we're, we're already recording. It's fine, Patrick. Okay, thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay, just a moment. There we go. So uh, my name is Tim. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm a member of Al-Anon. I'm regularly a mess. I have had problems in many different areas. My first AA meeting was in January 1993. My last drink was in July 1993. You'll notice there's a little gap there between January and July. Uh, my first Al-Anon meeting was in September 1995. The earth did not move, but um, uh, I find Al-Anon very helpful. Um, using the program to get through the day. Uh, this looks like it's a small topic because a life looks like it's very big and a day looks like it's very small. But the headline, if you want one, is I haven't sorted my life out. I've learned how to have a day. And you put one day after another and you end up with a life. Um, and so what I'm going to look at is, is what I do to get through, to get through the day. Um, and some, I'm going to litter it with some little big book quotations I find helpful. If you find them helpful, that's great. And if you don't, that's fine too. Uh, I know some, pe some people are allergic to the big book. Well, that's just neat and dandy, but there's, there's some helpful stuff in there, I think. Um, there's, there's a line in Bill's story, faith has to work 24 hours a day in us and through us or we perish. And, and it also has very dramatic, doesn't it? But it had a very specific meaning for me. Uh, I think it was Sister BM who said, uh, my head would, need, would kill me if it didn't need me for transportation. The tragic truth is my head will kill me even though it needs me for transportation. Um, I did a number of potentially deadly things between January and July 1993, including uh, getting drunk and going into blackout in Moscow. Uh, if, if you ever visit Russia, don't visit Russia in 1993. That was a rough time to visit Russia and a rough time to be in blackout. Um, I make really, really bad decisions. I do. I make decisions like, let's have a drink. I make decisions like, let's interfere. <laughs> That's my Al-Anon equivalent. Um, what does faith working in me and through me mean? Um, I have only a very hazy notion of a higher power. Um, if you want a very firm notion of a higher power, there are TV channels which will give you one, but uh, I have a very hazy notion of a higher power. So how's faith going to work through me? Um, I do have a connection with a higher power, but my reliance on a higher power is mostly through the program, the, the principles and the other people. Um, when Maureen, Maureen used to make me a tape of, uh, of an AA or an Al-Anon speaker every week. This was in, the, uh, in my first year, first two years. She would order tapes, then she'd make tapes for people and then put them in the post. And she sent me a tape every week. And whenever Maureen's tape came and I listened to Maureen's tape from some speaker from America usually, I never drank whilst listening to one of those tapes. Um, 
It's my belief I was connected with a higher power because I did something that a sense of another sensible, a sensible human being other than me suggested. And the essence of me not drinking in the early stages of AA was all about doing things which other people suggested, just trusting them, trusting what they were offering me. Um, looking back, I think it is that which connected me with a higher power and it's the higher power which kept me sober. But the visible bit is following other people's direction. Um, I heard someone say, you're doing well when you're willing to get well someone else's way. I heard someone else say, um, uh, the program is about doing things you don't agree with because the person who suggested them is doing better than you. So how do I sort my life out? I can't, I can sort out the day, how? By doing things that people suggest rather than my own best thinking. Um, there's another line from Bill's story. Most of, most of us feel we need look no further for utopia. We have it with us right here and now. Um, I remember someone in a meeting once saying, I'm in the middle of a divorce. And I looked around and I couldn't see the divorce. Now she was suffering and that was real. But I thought, I really realized for the first time, what's actually happening right now? Lots of what is causing me suffering is not in the room. It's out there, it's in the past, it's in the future, it's over there, it's in the land of speculation. Um, friend of mine was having a panic attack once and she was, she was absolutely beside herself and she came around and I did a trick with her, which someone did with me once. She came, she came to the kitchen, I sat her down, I gave her a cup of tea and I said, tell me what's wrong. And she told me she needed to let it out. And I said, what can you hear? And, she said, I, and then she carried on telling me the story about what was happening. And I said, what can you hear? And after four or five times, she said, I can hear a washing machine in the neighboring flat. I said, what else can you hear? She said, I can hear a dog, I can hear. And together we came back into the moment and we established there was nothing bad happening right now. There might be some very bad things happening over there in the next borough to someone else next week but there was nothing bad happening right now. And that is the utopia I'm after, is to have my head where my feet are. Um, so I need to be connected to the higher power to stay sober. I need to be in the now to stay sober, or at least in the now as much of the time as possible. It's, it's a progressive recovery. Um, you see, what I will do, I remember very clearly before I phoned AA, I remember lying in the bed at one in the morning, full of booze, feeling that I was pinned to the bed with the past on one hand and the future on the other hand, these two great mountains. Um, and it's my temptation on a regular basis when I'm disturbed to get stuck in the past and stuck in the future. Now, there are bits of the program where I get to look at the past. Uh, so there's, there's step one, I look at the past. Step four, I look in the past. Step eight, I look at the past. But the trust that I, I have developed over the years is to only go into the past uh, if I've got very good reason for a very specific 
purpose, which is to data scrape it for useful information about uh, what, what I can do differently in the future, what attitudes need to shift, who I need to forgive, who I need to make amends for. Um, and it, it's like in those sort of special ops films uh, where you go in with a SWAT team full of armor, you do what needs to be done, and then you're parachuted back out, you're airlifted, you parachute in, you're airlifted back out. Uh, when I'm not in my right mind, I press play on the past and just leave it running in the background like a radio all day. And there's a certain amount of discipline. I'm gonna talk about the, the skill of developing a tiny little bit of mental discipline over the course of this, this talk. Um, the skill is to learn to leave it there. When I do step work, um, so I, I do a, a, a little bit of a review, apart from daily reviews, I do a little bit of a, a general review once a quarter. Um, but I set aside time deliberately and then I leave it there. I don't think about it the rest of the day. I, I sort of seal it away again. Um, and it's the same with the future. Uh, the, the tip I was given about the future is when a decision does need to be made about the future. So one can't, you know, that there are things that need to be decided. There is provision, financial provision for the future. There's what to do when an elderly parent is getting old. One needs to think ahead. But again, to set aside a start time, an end time, light a candle, turn the phone off, have someone to call immediately after, you know, engaging with the terrifying material. So I get to look at the future as well, but to devise a plan and then leave the plan written down in a drawer so I don't need to think about it again. My job is to stay as much as possible in the day. The other thing that... Um, uh, when I came into recovery, whenever I had a small feeling, or even a big feeling, but a feeling which had been with me for two, maybe three minutes, my immediate instinct is to make some huge change in my life. So to change job, to change career, to change what I'm studying at university, to ditch a relationship, to get into a relationship, to get into a second relationship, to get into a third relationship. What I need is three relationships at once. Move house, buy house, sell a house, move country, start therapy, stop therapy, start Buddhism, give up Buddhism. This endless series of cut everyone out of my life. That was one of my favorite things. Um, uh, when I have had a feeling, a distressing feeling to, uh, I remember literally, I was with my other half, something had happened, he did a thing, I'm not going to say what he did, it was kind of witless, but, um, and it had potentially major consequences, we averted the consequences, everything is fine. I was with him and he was upset about what he did. And a little voice in my head said, go into the next room turn off the light and think about this really, really hard. And this was a very bad idea. Uh, when I'm upset, I do not need to get philosophical. I don't need to start raising spiritual or religious questions. Um, there isn't a single sledgehammer to solve my problem. I was always looking for the single thing that would fix everything, uh, the single silver bullet. Um, asking myself really unhelpful questions was, was a great hobby of mine. 
uh, questions like, why am I like this? <laughs> it's two o'clock in the morning. What shall I do? I know I'll figure out why I'm crazy. Doesn't help. Uh, one thing I did with huge regularity was change sponsor, change meetings, switch fellowship, plot suicide, attempt suicide, major changes to solve temporary situations. What I've learned is to make big changes uh, only when I'm in my right mind. I had a, um, a situation a few years ago where I, I got myself into a tizzy about my other half. I decided that there was a terrible problem in the relationship and it, uh, one of us had to leave and it wasn't gonna be me. And I spoke to my sponsor and he said, you're not, are you at peace? I said, absolutely not. He said, wait till you're at peace. So work towards getting to a position of peace. When you're at peace, if you're still in the wrong relationship, when you're at peace, then by all means, he knew a little bit about the background. You know, I wasn't with, I, the relationship was basically sound. It was with someone who was of sound mind, who wasn't violent, who was well-intentioned, had lots of virtues, but I had a problem with him. It took about a year until I reached a position of peace. And when I reached a position of peace, I realized I almost made the worst mistake in my life. So I'm not a fan of making really big decisions when I'm, when I'm upset, when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Someone said to me, uh, uh, I think I might've heard it on a tape many years ago, if it's after nine o'clock at night and it seems like a good idea, it's not. Honestly, if it's after around 10 in the morning and it seems like a good idea, it's not. I go down really downhill really quickly after breakfast. Um, I'm really careful about big decisions. Uh, even when I now, even when I'm tempted to make a big decision, I make the big decision, then I leave it for a month, see if it needs to be followed through. And almost none of the big decisions need to be followed through. It's amazing. Uh, what has changed my life is making lots of small changes. Keeping on top of my laundry, doing the dishes the same day I get the dishes dirty. Uh, <laughs> answering, uh, returning phone calls within 24 hours. Getting up at the same time every day. Anthony says he, uh, makes his bed every morning. And when he looks at his bed, he says, I'm, that's the bed of a man who makes his bed every morning. And it gives him this tiny little burst of pleasure. Um, it's 10,000 tiny small good things which have changed my life. It's not pulling big levers or levers if you're American. Um, so I'm gonna get on to how I actually so that, that, that's the, the background. So what do I stay out of? I stay out of over there. I stay out of you. I stay out of the past. I stay out of the future. Well, what do I actually do with the day? Um, I need to clear the decks to have a day. Um, the big book's got this little nightly review on page 86, which I find very helpful. I'm going to read it out in case you're not familiar with it. When we retire at night, we constructively review our day. We'll be resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid. Do we owe an apology? 
Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? Were we kind and loving toward all? What could we have done better? Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Yes. Or were we thinking of what we could do for, for others, of what we could pack into the stream of life? But we must, this is the key bit, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, or morbid reflection, for that would diminish our usefulness to others. After making our review, we ask God's forgiveness and inquire what corrective measures should be taken. Uh, for the AA historians among you, that started off as a morning exercise and Bill shifted it to the evening. Um, I don't care when I do it. I, I, what I want to do, though, is the principle of it is to make sure that if something has gone wrong today, I fix it straight away. I don't let it, I don't put it in the, se in the second drawdown of my mind. If I've had an argument, if I've got very upset, if something has gone seriously wrong, uh, frankly, honestly, I find most of the time the best thing is grab a friend, talk it through, figure out, and, and, and it's not to... To, to beat myself up, it's to say, what will I do differently next time? The only two things I can change are my attitudes and my actions. My beliefs, my thinking, my behavior, but AA, attitudes and actions. Uh, what should my attitude be? What should my action be? And uh, I think AA and Alan on work because we're not all mad on the same day and we're not all mad about the same stuff. So if I've got a problem, that I've got a friend who's uh, very, very knowledgeable about politics and economics and is level-headed. When I get all upset about something to do with politics or economics, I call him because he can bring sanity into the situation. My other half is good on all sorts of things. I, I know people who are good on, good on lots of topics. I want to clear the decks. I want to take the situation which went wrong, extract the juice from it, which is what am I going to do next time? If I need to apologize, I apologize. What I don't do is get pen and paper out at this point. Uh, as soon as I start analyzing myself, I want to push myself down the stairs. I can't, it, ugh, it just makes me feel physically sick. It's bad enough having to do step fours without having to do a step four every day. Now, if you're doing a written inventory every day, good, and, you're, and it's working for you, great, don't stop. You know, whatever your sponsor says, presumably is right. But I can't do it. It drives me crazy. I have a tiny little problem with self-obsession. And I have a habit of using the program to act out on my self-obsession and also to prove to everyone else what a good program I've, I've got. So I want to watch that. Uh, we must be careful not to drift into worry, remorse, and morbid reflection. If my daily review takes more than five minutes, uh, I need to stop and find a grown-up to talk to who can just cut through the rubbish and just cut straight to what needs to change. If I haven't seen what needs to change in five minutes, I ain't going to see it. I need to just pick up the mess, put it in a bucket and take it to a friend who's got five minutes to spend. Also, I don't do the review at night usually. I do it uh, end of the working day or on my way home from work or first thing in the morning I can do it. The last thing at night, I'm, I'm toast. I want the last three or four hours of the day to be pleasant, not to, not to I don't want to do work at 11 o'clock at night. Um, Setting up for the day in the morning. Uh, 
This is 86 to 88 of the big book. On awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. We consider our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be, divor that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. Uh, Brendan talks about getting in a preemptive strike against the devil before he's even got to the kettle in the morning. Now, it's a little bit medieval. His terminology is a little bit medieval, but he's half German. I think that might, might explain it, the name Brendan notwithstanding. But anyway, I understand that because uh, when I'm not in my right mind, my alcoholism and my Alanonism get up about half an hour before me and have a committee meeting. And they're already they're already ready with their agenda for the day by the time my eyes creak open. Um, I have prayers memorized. I find this immensely useful because uh, what I'm gonna talk about a lot is, is uh, how to choose what goes on in my mind. And it starts off first thing in the morning. Often I have to use a prayer, a prayer to just block what is going on and calm myself down. So God, please, and you can take a line from the big book and turn it into a prayer. You don't need to buy a book uh, other than the big book, which is free online as well. But simply saying, God, please direct my thinking. Please look after me. God, please look after me. Or even to affirm, God is looking after me. Everything is fine. God is looking after me. Everything is fine. And sometimes I say that for five minutes and my mind tries to go elsewhere, but saying it out loud, really, really helps is something about affirming things out loud, uh, which drums them into my mind much more effectively. Um, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest or self-seeking motives. Um, that's not the half of it. That's not the half of the things that my mind needs to be divorced from. Um, I used to do very, very long, elaborate step 11s in the morning and find myself getting crazier and crazier and crazier, trying to use spiritual means to fix my disturbed mind. Frankly, I do do a morning routine, but I don't spend that long. I get into the day and then do other spiritual things throughout the day. I found it much more useful. I came into AA with, with some mental health issues, as they say. Um, they wouldn't have been as polite about it in 1993, let me tell you. Um, but I came into AA with some mental health issues. Uh, and I found it much more useful to get something done, get something practical done, go for a walk, go and buy bread from an actual baker's, buy some nice jam, bring it back, make yourself some breakfast. That will do a thousand times more for my mental health than elaborate spiritual routines. I do do spiritual stuff, but often I need to get my head straight first before I can have any hope of doing anything useful spiritually. I need to get into reality, into the physical world. Because I, I'm like a brain in a jar, a completely divorced from anything that's going on around me. Um, not a bad way of 
getting into the physical people do yoga i like trees and when i've been in a very bad way i've gone and sat under a tree and leant against the tree again that is so much better than any kind of self-absorbed self-examination under the guise of step 11. anything that works if it works do it if it doesn't work don't do it there's some other stuff I won't read the whole thing out, 86 to 88. Um, but essentially it's this, what I wanna come up with is a plan for the day. Now the plan doesn't have to be a straitjacket, but to, to consider in my life, what is absolutely mission critical today? Well, I have to get to a meeting. I have to have lunch. I have to have dinner. I might have to go to work. I might have to call. There might be three people I have to call. There might be four administrative tasks to do. I write down everything I have to do. Why? So it doesn't rattle around my head, frightening me. I'm easily frightened by small tasks. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else identifies with that. Um, having it written down gets it out of my head and then I don't need to keep it in my head. I don't know who gave me this tip, but it is the most important thing maybe I've ever learned in, in AA. Just write all the stuff I have to do down, keep it in one place, pull out a few things to do today. Um, if I've got a handle on roughly what I'm doing, what I have to do in the next week or month, I can cheerfully just get on with the day without worrying about it because once a week, once a month, I look in the, in the longer term. But again, I don't let myself think about next week or next month all day. I spend 10, 15 minutes in the morning just getting my head around all of the obligations. And I got a list of things to do today. The next tip is you get your list of things to do today, cross half of it off. <laughs> if it can be crossed off, just cross it off. Because... Uh, this is the Al-Anon in me. I, I'm so self-important. I think everything is, is mission critical. Uh, and I've got an, ex an exaggerated sense of my own capabilities. If I, put, if I give myself too much to do in one day, I'll do half of it and feel terrible. If I cross half of it on, I'm in with a chance. Cross half it off, I'm in with a chance. So a little bit of planning. And the tip that someone gave me from tradition nine is organize as little as uh, as little as possible, but as much as necessary, as little as possible and as much as necessary. The three things that I'm looking for when seeking to fill up the day with something, are, I've got to look after myself first. As a, as a woman in, in Glasgow once said, I, you're of no good to any, I won't do the accent, you're of no good to anyone else if you're in a devil of a state yourself. It wasn't the word devil, it was far worse. Uh, I've got to put my own oxygen mask on first before I can help anyone else. What does looking after myself mean? Sleep, diet, exercise, being really careful about watching scary things on television, late at night, being really careful about sugar and caffeine, especially in the evening. Um, if I don't get enough sleep, I think I've got deep psychological problems. Actually, I just didn't get enough sleep last night. 
I can't tell you how many times I've, I've decided to go into therapy. What I needed was a nap. Maybe I needed two or three naps every day for a month. Uh, napping, I think, is one of the great tools of recovery. Um, I've got to get my recovery stuff straight. So I talk to all my sponsees in the morning, most of my sponsees in the morning. Um, I always make sure I go, because of Zoom, I can go to a meeting every day. So I go to a meeting every day. I go to a 7 a.m., 20-minute meeting, and I go to one every evening. Uh, it's much harder to do a meeting every day when I was new. It's easy as anything now, because you can do it on your lunch break. No excuses anymore. The most important thing in my life is not my job. I'm going to say that again. The most important thing in my life is not my job. For the Al-Anons amongst you, the most important thing in my life is not my alcoholic. <laughs> the most important thing in my life is me being in a fit state to be able to do anything in the world. So maintenance, I've got to have a basic structure to look after myself. Um, the next thing, the, 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 the meat and potatoes of my day is usefulness. Uh, the quotation, bottom of page 14, top of page 15. If an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then, then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Um, I don't consider myself to have a job or to have sponsors or whatever. I consider myself to be serving the higher power. And if that involves going to work, I go to work. If it involves talking to a sponsee, I talk to a sponsee. If it involves other service in Al-Anon or AA, I, I attend to that. But I treat myself as working for God, not for anyone else. Uh, spiritual Paul used to say, uh, it's better to be a, a God pleaser than a people pleaser because there's only one of him. So my job then, once I've got myself straight, uh, is to fill the day with useful, constructive activities. They don't need to be important. Sometimes the important thing to do is to sort out the spices and throw away the old ones. Little things are allowed to be important. Um, I think this is the, the Al-Anon in me. Um, if someone's life didn't depend on it, it didn't get done. And so after a few years of that, you have 10,000 small things which need doing, each of which is nagging at you. I let myself have sometimes two days in a row, three days in a row of just doing small things which appear to mean nothing to anyone else. I've got to let myself catch up. Um, a little bit of order in my life doesn't help. And so I... I, 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 I I may have mentioned this before, there's a, a John Mullaney sketch where he says that cancelling things is like heroin. The instant relief of just saying, I'm not going to be there, 
are not even explaining why. They don't have to know. You just say, I'm not going to make it. Not I can't, not I won't. I'm not going to be there. And then they say, but why not? Well, and then you go and do something else. There it is. I'm not going to be there. Um, with work, I turned down a huge amount of work. And for a long time, I used to overbook myself hugely and have to work every weekend. I don't anymore. Uh, I was too frightened that I was going to lose clients by saying no to work. And it, it, didn't, it didn't happen. I just said no and no and no. And I, I only take on one job at a time now, maybe two or three different jobs at a time. I don't, I don't stack myself up. I had a Japanese client once who was supposed to provide me with some information and his English wasn't very good. Um, it was poetic, but he hadn't been in the UK for very long and he was doing his best, but he was struggling a bit. His apology, his apology um, for not sending me the information he was supposed to send me, it was brilliant. He said, I was stacked up with miscellaneous rubbish job. And that describes about 15 years of my life, being stacked up with miscellaneous rubbish job. So saying no is a huge part of my program. Um, the higher power, if I make a lot of space, the higher power seems to bring amazing things into my life. If I fill things up for the sake of filling things up as I'm frightened, then I'm stacked up with miscellaneous rubbish job. So anyway, I like to, to keep myself busy and active. Um, and I'm going to come back to why I do that um, in a bit. It also says, um, and this is somewhere in the big book, ask God in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the person who it says man, but person who is still sick. And nine times out of ten, it's return the call. Pray before you pick up the phone. If like me, I have, I can be a little tense <laughs> on the phone to people in recovery. So one trick, just in case you need one, is uh, lie on your back while you're on the phone. They don't need to know you're lying on your back, but it's very hard to, be, it calms the whole body down. It calms the conversation. Anyway, how can I be helpful? Usually just return the calls, go to a meeting, share at the meeting, say hello to a few people afterwards, go for coffee. But that to me, if I go to a meeting, if I answer a few sponsee phone calls, that is more important than my job and money because that's the thing which connects me most readily to a higher power. Yeah, the job has to be done, but what's really important is the people. And fun. There's a wonderful line in the big book. Um, we have been speaking to you of serious, sometimes tragic things. We have been dealing with alcohol in its worst aspect, but we aren't a glum lot. If newcomers could see no joy or fun in our existence, they wouldn't want it. We absolutely insist on enjoying life. Um, we try not to indulge in cynicism over the state of the nations, nor do we carry the world's troubles on our shoulders. The way I apply this, my first sponsor, Doug, said, decorate your life with pleasant things. And now Bill's idea of fun was getting back into the social, uh, the social whirl, 
he talks about this in chapter seven and I, I that's not me for me fun can be reading a book for half an hour it can be looking out the window there are some foxes that live just near when i look out the window i can see foxes there are fox cubs at the moment but doing things i enjoy um Very often I've spoken to people in recovery who are very depressed, as I was when I was new. And I say, what do you do for fun? And this sort of grimace of terror comes over their faces. They, and they say, what do you mean? What do you mean? They, the, 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 the language just is not there to even process the question. Um, I don't have to be useful all the time. Um, I've got to have, I, I've carved out chunks of time every day. Uh, I play the piano before I go to work every day because it makes me less of a jerk for the rest of the day, marginally less of a jerk for the rest of the day. I've got to be enjoying myself, which I do. But it doesn't have to, I thought enjoying myself had to look like everyone else enjoying themselves. I live in Party Central in Hoxton in, in London and their sense of enjoyment um, it seems to mostly involve wearing very, very skimpy clothing, getting drunk, and they have these things called the ball pits. I don't really understand them, but there you go. It's not me, I, I, but I don't have to be like other people. Whatever is fun for you is allowed to be fun, even if everyone else thinks it's boring. Um, now, the, the next topic I want to talk about, um, there's a phrase that people didn't use it when I was new, but people use it a lot now as intrusive thoughts. Frankly, I found all of my thoughts my whole life to be intrusive. I don't ask for them. They're just there. Um, but certainly I'm someone that gets obsessed and preoccupied with problems very, very easily. Um, in one of the Lord of the Rings films, I think it might be the second one, I might be wrong, could be the third one. There's this thing called the Palantir, which is this sort of uh, crystal ball in which you can see the future and communicate with the Dark Lord Sauron and all sorts of neat but terrifying things. And one of the little hobbits gets his hands, his grubby little hands on this palantir, which has got huge power. And he's trans, it's, it's torturing him with its visions of the future and death and destruction. But he's so fixated by it, he can't, they physically can't let go of it. That was me for a couple of decades with, uh, uh, like a kaleidoscope of things that, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 things that I was perpetually obsessed by. Now, the thing is, I did need to do step four and step eight and step five and step nine and other stuff to process that. But that was in time deliberately set aside. Um, so, you know, I got myself on a track of doing the steps. But what I don't want to do is to bring all of that craziness into, into my day. Um, there's a, an important principle which I wasn't aware of. I didn't know that you were allowed to choose what you thought about. Now, it's not quite as easy as that. 
Um, I think the motto is this. Um, I can't choose what thoughts come into my mind, but with some training, I can choose what I do with them. And there's a wonderful story about a man who goes to a rabbi. And he says to the rabbi, um, I've got the most terrible trouble with intrusive thoughts. And I can't remember what the topic was, but they just plague me all day. And the rabbi says to him, you want to go and see this other rabbi in this city 150 miles away. Now, if you sponsor people, you'll have said things like this. You can't face the question. So you say, go and talk to Sally. She lives 150 miles away. Her home group is on Thursday evening. Anyway, the, so the rabbi says to this bloke, go and see this other rabbi, Rabbi B, in this other city. He travels for three days. He, he gets there uh, on Friday night. The Sabbath is just coming in. He knocks on the rabbi's door. He can see them all preparing for the Sabbath inside you know, uh, food and candles and everything. No one answers the door. He knocks, he shouts at the window. Everyone ignores him. And he thinks, well, I don't think much of this. So he goes and sleeps in the synagogue overnight. Next morning, there's a service. Um, he speaks to the rabbi afterwards, the rabbi who'd refused to, to, to let him in the night before. Uh, the rabbi is charming. He says, you must have lunch with us, blah, blah, blah. And he says to him, I was sent to you, Rabbi, to deal with this question of intrusive thoughts. I, I've traveled for three days and you knew that I'd come for that. A letter was sent in advance. I knocked on the door for half an hour. Um, you wouldn't let me in. And, and now you're being pleasant to me. How am I supposed to interpret this? And when are we gonna cover this question of intrusive thoughts? A demanding person. Anyway, the, the, rabbi, the rabbi says to him, oh, we've already had the lesson on how to deal with intrusive thoughts. You can't control who knocks on your door, but you can control who you let in. Now, that's an acquired skill. It takes a while. I found when I started to practice this, I had invited the thought in and it had taken its shoes off, it had sat on the sofa, it, its stuff was everywhere, it had unpacked, it had brought other people in with it, and I had to turf it out and start again. But with practice, I've learned how to say, uh, 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 <laughs> and I did it yesterday. I caught myself yesterday thinking about a particular situation in the world which shall remain nameless. I caught it about seven seconds in and thought, that was close. Because I can go for three hours on that one. How do you get good at this? You practice. There's a line in A Course in Miracles where it talks about fear. It says, uh, you're too tolerant of your own mind wandering. Now, I'd spent decades not realizing that I was responsible for what I did with my mind. And so it was going to be a tough job. It's like if you've never been to a gym, if you've never gone running, the first time you run, you're going to struggle. The first time you lift weights, you're going to struggle. It's going to take a while to get into shape. It's going to take some training to get into shape. But when I've got horrible, intrusive thoughts, um, 
obsessions my my big big obsessions these days tend to be about politics and economics those are the two topics uh, because there's such a lot to choose from there are so many people who i can feel superior to where i'm the holy innocent and all the darkness resides in them it's it's just a delicious way to ruin a weekend um i've had to learn to, to not take the bait. Now, what I can't do is then think about nothing. The key idea, and I got this from Emma Fox, is substitution. So rather than trying not to think about something, if I say, don't think about a pink elephant, don't think about a pink elephant, don't think, you're now thinking of a pink elephant. If I say, think about a purple rhinoceros, you're now thinking about a purple rhinoceros and the pink elephant didn't come into your mind, hopefully. And this is the whole, this is the whole system, is to substitute something else, substitute other thoughts. Now, sometimes a situation will, will require a tiny little bit of triaging. So I go to a grown up, I say, right, I need a little action plan for this situation. I need the corrective attitude and action. You write it down, but then I've got to let it go. Dr. Paul O went to his uh, sponsor and said, he, he was very upset about his wife. And his sponsor said, try not thinking about it for a couple of days. And he said, not think about it for a couple of days, but then I'll forget all about it which is exactly the point. I toxify myself, if that's a word, I toxify myself with, obsess with obsessive thinking. And I need to detox before I can really handle the material. And I, the detoxing can take days or weeks or months. There are certain things where it went so deep, I had to go for months, no TV, no radio, no newspapers, going through the aisle in the supermarket with the newspapers saying, knowing where they were, looking left, not right, so I don't see the headlines, because the headline would send me off for two and a half hours. When I'm sane, then I can do some inventory, then I can do something with it. But I've got to detox myself first. I've got to, to, to stop triggering myself. Um, once I've got a little, little sort of makeshift uh, action plan, I've got to stay out of the subject matter completely. Uh, you know the way dogs, when they've had their, their bits cut off, they have a comb to stop them licking themselves. There are certain topics where if I start talking about them, my other half says cone. And what that means is don't even touch this subject matter. You'll only hurt yourself. It's like running with scissors. Should I be better than this by now? Probably, but I'm not. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the fact my wiring will probably always be a little bit strange and I'm probably best off not watching the news. There are other people who can do that job for me. I know I'm good at watching the news does not help. And me watching the news does not help anyone. So I don't do it. I, I, I tell Jonathan, if I need to know anything, will you tell me? He said, yeah. And he never tells me anything. So I guess I figure <laughs> there's nothing I need to know. Um, 
what can I do instead? So to let go means to not think about something and to treat it like a game of whack-a-mole. So what do I do instead? Well, first of all, I've got to be careful. When someone asks me how I am, I can be, well, let me tell you. And I immediately haul out of my suitcase the 17 topics I've quarantined myself from thinking about, and I put myself right back at square one. So what I say instead is, I'm doing really well in staying away from certain topics. And here are five useful things I've accomplished today. I'll hear I saw some dogs today. Let me describe the dogs that I saw. And then it reminds me of the joy that I had earlier on in the day. When someone asks me how I am, um, here's the thing, they usually don't want to know anyway. Um, they're just being nice. Um, I'm very careful about what I think about and what I talk about. What do I do instead of thinking about the thing I'm mentally obsessed with? I get on with the task at hand, whether it's work or service or doing the dishes and listening to the radio, uh, whether it's step work. Uh, mantras help, prayers help, long prayers take longer to say. I, I've used Psalm 91 in the past. You get extra marks if you learn it in Hebrew, but it's not obligatory. You can learn it in English. If you don't like the King James, there are lots of other versions too. But it's all about protection. The, so the Psalms are, are really prayers. Uh, and they're prayers by someone who obviously had trouble getting through the day. And Psalm 91 is great because it lists all of these dangers. And to think of each of these dangers as a type of attack thought that tends to trigger itself in my mind. So I, I use lots of wonderful images about being lifted up by angels so I don't dash my feet against a stone and being protected on a high um, pinnacle of a mountain by a huge bird with its wing over me, protecting me. The imagery really helps. Having it off by heart, I learned it and said it so often that when anxiety started to rise in me, the psalm started automatically and pushed the anxiety down. I have very little anxiety today. The, re the, the rewiring has taken a long time, but I had to take the... I had to take the initiative in, in starting the process. What else can you do? Uh, read, watch, listen to recovery or spirituality things until something clicks. So I've got a big library of stuff. I know exactly where to go on YouTube for, there's a couple of Course in Miracles teachers I really like. Whatever floats your boat, there are some rabbis I've, I've taken a great interest in in the past, I find very useful. Um, but it's so interesting that this Course in Miracles teacher says uh, what he does, he goes to the park with his book. When he's up disturbed, he reads and reads and reads until something clicks. Emmett Fox said, read the Bible until it clicks. I would listen to AA speaker tapes until I heard something which spoke to me. And I can go through tape after going, nothing. And then something something gets under the radar and gets through the egoic noise. Uh, I think Kitchener, um, questionable historical reference, but Kitchener said, if, if, if you don't give in, the enemy eventually has to. What else? Exercise plus loud music at the same time, very helpful when I'm angry. Uh, yoga, 
the app Insight Timer with this amazing music, which is designed to to uh, to, to to slow your brain waves and uh, um, watching comedies. I'd be I was sentenced by someone to watching episodes of The Golden Girls, and it sounds trivial and frivolous, but anything is better than what I will fill my own brain with. I can't tell you how often. I've been in a state and I, I work my program really, really hard and I work it so hard, I'm now doubly obsessed because in working the program on the problem, I'm still focusing on the problem, but under the guise of looking for a solution. And then I watch three episodes of Big Bang Theory and I'm fine. And I'm like, why was I so upset? I have no idea. It seems I need to get distance. Anything which gets me distance. Radio 4 dramas audiobooks, get an audible account, learn something, learn, learn Tibetan calligraphy, which is a whole thing. Learn a musical instrument, get out into nature, animals, children, find an old person to look after, go to 100,000 meetings, uh, anything but think about myself <laughs> for another six hours. Anything, it doesn't matter what it is because anything is better than me obsessing about myself. Sometimes I need to bring out the big guns on specific topics. With resentment, uh, I don't analyze resentment anymore. You need to do it in step four, I think, just to get the, the anatomy of where resentment comes from, but I don't anymore. I go straight to the prayer on page 67. This, this person, if they have behaved badly, they're not very well. They're driven by forces bigger than them just like when I'm behaving badly, how can I be helpful? And I visualize myself, is there a helpful attitude I can take? Is there a helpful thing I can do? If I can't help them, is there someone else I can help in maybe a different way? The neighbor at the, there's a school next to my block where I live and they chopped down these beautiful trees which had um, birds in them and, and everything. Uh, and it was for good reason. Apparently the trees were going to fall on the children, so they chopped the trees down. I might have arrived at a different decision, but that says more about me than it does about trees at the school. But anyway, they chopped down the trees and I was beside myself. I was beside other people too, but I was particularly beside myself. And I, how can I be helpful? Um, I don't think I could be helpful, but... I found a way of paying some money to have three acres planted with trees somewhere else in the country. And then I could let it go. That was fine. There is always a way of being helpful, even if it's some kind of compensatory helpful. I can't tell you how often I've been upset by political things or social things. And as soon as I write a check or give some time on a related topic, the resentment goes. Uh, God save me from being angry, thy will be done. And you can use this as a mantra or a blocking prayer. This is a sick person. How can I be helpful to them? God save me from being angry, thy will be done. Have it memorized, say it over and over and over. Fear buster. Um, uh, visualizing myself as spirit protected by God, who just happens to be running around in a physical body is a pretty good initial way to start to get out of fear but then to say to god this is straight from page 68 we ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be so god what would you have me be in this situation 
and to concentrate on developing my virtues in that situation of, of, of patience, love, kindness, and tolerance. If you can't think of anything else, those four are a very good place to start. And with problems, there's a problem solver on page 69, where uh, in the sex inventory, basically, basically you do a little inventory and then you say to the higher power, what should my sane and sound ideal be? What should my, what, what would be a sane and sound attitude? What would sane and sound behavior be? Talk to a couple of grown-ups, write it down and be willing to take action to progress towards that gradually over time. So you've, I've got three little um, busters for situations there. A resentment buster, page 67, a fear buster, page 68, and a problem solver on page 69. Um, now, just one last thing before we go on to questions and answers. Well, maybe there'll be answers. Uh, maybe I'll just answer the questions by asking more questions. But anyway, um, it's very hard if you've had days, weeks, months, years or decades full of self-obsession as I did. When you start to counteract that, the ego is going to kick off because it kind of knows it's on borrowed time now. And it's going to party because it knows it's on borrowed time. Uh, and it takes a while to really get the hang of trusting it's okay for me not to think about my problems. There's a line in 30-something. Some of the older people will have to explain to the kids what 30-something is, where Michael says to Hope, it's okay to stop thinking about you. This is late at night. It's okay to stop thinking about your problems. They'll still be there in the morning. Um, I thought if I stopped thinking about them, they would get even more out of control. So I had to keep the problem at the front of my mind just in case, just to mont like I'm, I'm the, you know, um, CDC or something. No. I can trust that just going through one day at a time, getting to a bazillion meetings, and letting step four and step eight and step five and step nine work in their own time in specifically designated ways, it will sort everything out, um, but not in my time. But it, the initiative has to start with me. I've got to be the one that decides, I don't want to put up with being as unhappy as I am. And I'm going to do something today. I'm just going to spend one day just today, all I have to do today is try and do one good thing after another and keep my focus on the thing. And if, I, if I've got some brain space, just keep talking to God uh, because it's better than talking to myself. Uh, Patrick, back over to you. Oh, thanks, Tim. That's great. Um, a couple of notes real quick. Uh, I'll put it back in the chat as well. We do record the entire audio of these workshops. So if you wish to ask a question and don't want to be recorded, we don't put it out, out on YouTube or anything. We just have it for our uh, group members, our WhatsApp groups and so on. Um, you, if you don't want to be recorded though, just put your message direct to Tim in the chat. And then uh, 
We're going to stay open afterwards. Anybody looking for sponsors or willing to sponsor, hang out, put that information in chat too. We have a sponsorship group. We have lists of available sponsors. So if you need a sponsor, just let us know. My number's in chat and uh, so on. So uh, with that, back to you, Tim. And uh, questions, try to keep it, you know, uh, a minute or two for the question so we get as many in as we can. Uh, thank you very much. There are, there are no hands not on the chat, so we might be done for Oh, Eric, there we go. I spoke too soon. Do you want to come, come in with your question? Yeah, happy to get it started. Um, that, that was fantastic. Thank you. Um, one of the things I try to do, so a, lot of, a lot of the stuff you mentioned, I've been trying to do. I'm in early sobriety. But there is a level of resistance that seems almost like, uh, I was, there you are. There's a level of resistance that just, it just baffles my mind. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a lazy person. And these are some of the, I'm just trying to do small things during the day. Like you mentioned exercise, um, some, you know, help around the house. I'm not working. And so my question is, is how much of this stuff, do, how much of this is intuitive? How much do you just do and how much of it requires willpower? That's a good question. Um, there's, uh, there's a line on page 85 of the book, which I find very helpful where it says we can, we can exercise our willpower along the line of God's will. We can exercise our willpower as much as we can, but there is only so much willpower can do. I can't lift more weight than I can lift. Like at the gym, I can't lift more weight than I can lift. If I can do one more thing than yesterday, I get the prize. I don't have to suddenly shoot to doing a hundred thousand things right. So I, I've had to be very, very patient with myself about that. Um, the other thing as well, there's, there's a little corrective procedure for resistance, which I go through. Uh, because I, I get very, very resistant. Um, uh, I mean, I can't believe the things that I've said to sponsors over the years by way of resistance. I mean, even like 15 years sober, 20 years sober, really just, oh, I would have sacked me if I'd been my sponsor. Um, resistance. Um, the corrective procedure is this. First of all, I can say, well, I don't like how I feel now. Can we at least agree I, how I feel really, really sucks? Good. Okay. Agreed. And then this is the key bit. I hope I've been wrong. Because if I'm right about this perception of the situation, which seems to suck, I'm, it's going to suck forever. I'm going to be stuck with this. Let's hope there is a different way of looking at this. So I hope I've been wrong. I hope there is another way to look at this. And then to say, I do actually do what, do I want another way to look at this? Well, why not? If I hope there is another way to look at this, then uh, what can I lose by asking? But if I start by looking at, at the results, what results have I been getting from living the way I've been living? And agree, because the thing is, my, my first sponsor, Doug, said to me, um, sometimes you need to pick between being right and being happy. And when I decide that what I want is to be happy, I want to be at peace, 
I'm willing to change my way of looking at things. And then a lot of the resistance, a lot of the resistance goes. So I hope that answers your question. Colette, would you like to come in with your question, Colette? Uh, thanks, Tim. I'm Colette, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I've, I've got, um, I've got this, I've got this anger in me at the moment. Um, I'm still in early days sobriety, but, um, it's a situation, um, you know, you really spoke to me when you said about the tree situation, um, because mine is to do with the tree. Um, it's been, un, you know, unlawfully cut down and this tree meant a lot to my mum. My mum feeds the birds and it lives in a flat and it's outside a flat and um, someone's illegally cut it down and the birds can't perch there and can't come to the, the feeder because of it. And uh, we know who's done it. It's the neighbor underneath. Um, but the thing is, it's the anger that I'm dealing, I'm because I'm really hurt. We're really hurt and upset about it. It wasn't causing any problems or anything. Um, so, it's just dealing with this anger that I'm feeling. I mean, I'm going to meditation and meditation helps me while I'm doing the meditation, but it's my thought process keeps going back, back to that day. It only happened a few days ago. So um, I'm finding it really difficult to um, <clears throat> deal with. So, um, yeah, so... Um, I don't know how to deal with the anger sort of thing, really. Okay, well, I think, I, couple, are, yeah, I think there are a couple of, couple of questions in there. So thanks for your question for that. Um, with how I've dealt with anger, I think there are two aspects to this. Um, I've needed to do step four to look at where, what is underneath all of the surface anger and to learn how to uh, diffuse it at source. Behind all of my anger has been a blueprint. In Al-Anon, we had the blueprint for progress. Well, I had my own blueprint for the universe's progress. If only everyone did what I wanted, we'd all be, we'd all be happy. Um, but that took as you know, step four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to diffuse. So there's a difference between the deep processing of stuff with those steps and, and the daily stuff. With the, I, I can't mix the two. So how, I'm de how I deal with, with anger in the moment is, which is the stuff I talked about today, is very different to how I've had to process lots of the deeper stuff. So uh, unfortunately, um, the, uh, the answer to so many questions is uh, a, a great sponsor and the steps. And if the first run through the steps doesn't work, another run won't hurt. And um, that's all I've done really. It's just the, the, the steps uh, again and again in all sorts of um, different ways. Uh, Tom, uh, would you like to come in? Uh, the unmuted, thank you so much, uh, Tim, for sharing experience, strength and hope. I like the practicality of it. It does take a lot of work to be in the present. And um, I find that sometimes I'm just really lazy. And I, I let things stack up. And that's when I need to be encouraged to go to take action. And frequently that's, um, uh, I haven't, 
shouted any psalms uh, out loud in either Hebrew or English, but occasionally I have shouted Broadway show tunes um, or, or complicated lyrics to something that I learned many, many years ago, because the brain just wants something to do. And, and, uh, and I also uh, very much agree with um, don't watch the news all day long because it's toxic. Anyway, hello from the West Coast. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Um, uh, Morris or Maurice, would you like to come in? Hi, how are you? My name is Maurice. Um, thank you um, for that share. It was very insightful. Um, I, um, I've been actually dealing with this today. So when someone sent me this link of, you know, how to deal with, apply the the work in, in everyday life, it, it really hit me. So I was particularly dealing with intrusive thoughts. And um, what happens with me, especially in, you know, recently is I've, I've recently um, stopped seeing a girl who was uh, toxic, and um, I'm sorry if you could hear that background noise. Um, and uh, and so there are times where I feel great about the decision because the decision was very untoxic. But there are also times where the thoughts get to me and I start to really like crave, I guess validation is what I think is the, the root. And I, I kind of like start worrying about whether or not she's thinking about me or whether or not she's missing me or whether or not she's with somebody who makes her laugh more or makes her laugh less or whatever whatever it is just the fact that she chose to be with someone else and and she quote unquote moved on regardless of her i realized that the problem is with me but like these thoughts come in like like that guy knocking on the door like the like, like the analogy you gave like he 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 knocks and he didn't, he didn't let him in, but I, I don't know how to stop them from coming in because as soon as the, the thoughts hit me, they, they automatically translate into a feeling and the feeling makes me feel 100 pounds heavier and it also makes me feel 100 pounds less of shit, to lack of a better term. Like I just feel shitty that day because as soon as that thought comes in, Yes, I could probably replace the thought and I could probably go speak to one of my children or maybe even like this morning, I, I told people in a nice chat that I have in recovery that I'm dealing with something like this because I was looking for feedback. And I just find it very hard um, practically to replace thoughts and I guess in turn, what I'm really looking for, because the thoughts aren't really owning me as much as what the thoughts do to me. So I don't know if I really asked the question just now more than as much as I kind of wanted to vent that to you. But if you can kind of speak on that, that would really be appreciated. Yeah, so I, I, I understand that. Um, yeah, it is hard when you start to substitute other thoughts or decide to quarantine. Emmett Fox is very good, um, a bit eccentric at times, uh, but I find him very, very useful. Um, he, he talks about quarantining thoughts, and uh, he's got something called the seven-day mental diet. Um, uh, so, uh, And that's got lots of tips about how to do it, how to do this practically. 
Um, Claire, would you like to come in with your question? Yeah, hi Claire, I've got it. Thank you so much, Tim. Um, I realised something you brought up two weeks ago was avoiding scenarios, people, situations are exactly the same as when you were drinking or anything. And recently I've withdrawn from something which I realised was it was toxic. I was speaking to my first sponsor this morning. It's like we had this, we've created this acronym, DSD, Desperately Seeking Drama. Or I used to have ism, insanity, seduces me. So I'm taking a step back and I'm detoxing, but it's like I'm grieving it. So, so how do you deal with that thing where all of a sudden, because I will jump in feet first and give everything. Now I've realized it was toxic for me, but I'm mourning it. I'm mourning it. And it's just how to get around that. I mean, I know you can pray and meditate and find other things, but it's like I'm missing something because I was putting so much into it and it was part of my recovery. Um, I obviously can't go into too much details. It was to do with the meeting, but it's just like now. <laughs> does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I mean, I, um, obviously, I don't know you. <laughs> it's a very brief presentation, but I can I can have a, a, a stab at, at something with that. Um, it's a line of the Course in Miracles when it says where it says um, uh, that we cry when an idol falls. So when I've been worshipping something other than my higher power and it crumbles to dust, um, I'm going to go through, I'm afraid, I'm going to go through a period, and some people call it grieving, you can call it a thousand different things, but it's, it's a bit rough. And it's a little bit like if you've been speeding in your car and uh, you come to a sudden halt, you, you're going to start flying through the air and hitting things. Uh, it's too late to either learn how to drive or to put your seatbelt on. And sometimes I, what I've experienced, particularly with very, very sort of very profound attachments, which have been snatched away from me quickly, my own protection, frankly, but nonetheless snatched away from me quickly. I'm simply going to have to take my lumps. It's going to take a while where uh, for, you know, one month, two months, three months, I'm, I'm not at my best. <laughs> uh, but what I do, I say to the higher power, give me people, bring people in my life for whom this can be a lesson either how not to get into trouble like this in the first place or how to get out of it once you're in it. And then through a funny sort of alchemy, it gets transformed into something else. Um, but there's once you're crashing, you just, I, I find I have to just let myself crash and it's fine. Um, uh, when Alice is falling down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland, uh, she doesn't stick out her hands to try and stop herself as, she fall, as she's fallen. She would have broken both her arms if she'd done that. She just lets herself fall. Um, and that was, that was a helpful image for me that someone once shared with me. Uh, Lynn uh, B from SF, would you like to come in? Yeah, hey, um, I'll just wave hi, and then I'll take me off camera. Hey, Lynn Alcoholic, can you hear me okay? Yes. Okay. Um, so I just, I wanted to say a couple of things and then I have a question. I, I really loved at the beginning when you were talking about one of the things that you said that was helpful 
uh, is about having just the tiniest amount of, of discipline. That was, you know, that's, that's palatable for me because I, um, I don't like that word discipline. And I know that that's something I need to, uh, in, in put in place in my life. But, um, uh, and then I thought I loved when you talked about, you know, not, thinking really, really hard about something is probably not helpful and, uh, and making those big giant changes. I think I I've done about half of the ones that you listed. Uh, but, um, but then you did almost lose me on the making the bed every day thing. I, that's a little much. So, um, but anyway, I wanted to see, I, Oh, I also like the part about stopping thinking, uh, you know, feeling like if I stop thinking about all my problems, it's almost like it's a prophylactic, you know, if I just, if I continue to think about it hard enough, then I'm going to stave off the problems, but that's not true. But I, I was curious if you had something else to share, perhaps on um, when other people are acting wrong. And uh, if, what is, where do you kind of delineate what is acceptable to share or, or talk about and what is not yours to share. There, there's a lot of, mostly I've just been biting my tongue about my dad's relationship with his alcoholic and, um, and his complete en enmeshment and complete obsession with her to the exclusion of even being able to see his kids for the last three years, practically. So uh, is there a place to say, to say what you see in a non uh, nasty way or negative way, but to say, look, this is just what I see. I, you know, I've been tipping toeing around this for a long time. This is what I see. Or, or do you just always just bite your tongue and not, that's not any of your business. Sorry if that was long. Uh, thank you. Okay. So yeah. Um, hundred thousand Al-Anon meetings, <laughs> I think is the basic answer to that. Um, there are situations like with sponsees, it's implicit in the relationship that they're asking for input or certainly when I sponsor people, people, there are different models of sponsorship. When I sponsor people, people know up front that I'm going to, you know, I, I will share my, my um, experience and views. We have very, very open, frank conversations. Um, but in most environments in my life, uh, I, I say as little as possible, wives, it doesn't make the blindest bit of difference. Uh, with, with sponsees, even sponsees who are super willing. I mean, when I was thought I was willing. I could only do a fraction of what people were asking me to do. So even with willingness to change, it's very, very difficult to change. If someone is resistant to change, um, uh, I, I save my breath for more important things these days, by and large. Um, so I know boundaries is a big question, Alan. Uh, my, my the boundaries I set are largely to do with what I am available for and what I am not available for. Um, 
very occasionally I can make requests, but even trying to, you know, even with small things with my other half, even polite requests, they don't, it doesn't seem to, to, to work all, all the time. And I was discussing a particular thing my, my other half does, which is a tiny, it's a minor little thing. And it annoys me because I'm a jerk, but okay. So let's just get that bit clear. Um, and I was talking to my friend about it and, and we agreed, well, he does whatever he's doing for deep psychological reasons, which are way out of sight. We, you're not going to figure it out. You're not going to change it. And trying to change people, in my experience, hurts them. However nicey-nicey it's done, it hurts them. So I don't, in, in my, you know, in my very immediate family, my mother, my other half, um, I, I, don't, I don't bother. Uh, by and large, but it's a much bigger question because there are 100,000 different situations and there isn't a single answer for every situation. It, it takes a, a lot of years. There, and there, there are things I do set boundaries for. If someone is violent towards me, that's the end of it. If someone is super aggressive towards me, that's the end of it. Uh, but I have very few of those showstoppers anymore. Um, I just take myself away and put myself somewhere more useful because uh, no one wants the Spanish Inquisition, and that's who I am when I'm on a bad day. Uh, Lily, would you like to come in? Hi, everyone. Lily, alcoholic from Boca Raton, Florida, but originally from Europe, too. Oh, my God. I enjoyed your share, and I enjoy your uh, questions and answers, actually answers. I think you're very funny. Uh, and I like that approach to our program, you know, like... Uh, you know, with a dose of humor, you know, uh, because I see our program is uh, is the life. It's now my life. I'm two and a half years in the program. I love it, and how I behave and what I, what I do today. I always look into the program, like, am I doing from the honest, uh, you know, motives and stuff like that. But anyhow, um, I know, like, uh, you know, like. Uh, you know, when I have those invasive thoughts, I remember my sponsors were, were always help another alcoholic to get out of my head. Anyhow, my question is, so I have a sponsor on the, in Europe, right? And we are doing work, reading books through the Zoom and stuff. She's getting, they're trying to get her involved in the local gossip. You know how they are over there, like, uh, um, sorry um somehow like these sponsors are with this sponsor the other sponsors are with the other sponsor and they kind of know that her sponsor is in the united states right and that i'm not getting involved in those uh local gossips right but they are trying to involve her and i tell her okay it's none of your business what people say and think you can't change them if they are going to gossip they're going to gossip it's none of your business but how can I help her not to lose energy and not to get implicated and um, and get involved? Because she needs these people as a support. She's seeing them in the meetings every day. But now, you know, like, I don't know how to help her from here in that sense. I tell her it's none of your business what they do and say, but like she needs them as a friend and she sees them every day in the meeting. So how can I help her more? I don't know how you can help her. I don't know what she should do, but I'll tell you something I do. Um, 
there are lots of situations where if you say nothing, you're basically being rude. If you say something of substance, you'll cause trouble. So how do you not be rude? How do you not lose them completely? And how do you, um, uh, but how do you stay out of trouble? And I was given some really useful uh, ways of responding to difficult situations with single words like yes, no, oh, really, wow, well, hmm. And there, there are several others as well. Gosh, tell me more. <laughs> you know, just, just let people talk. Someone actually said to me once, are you using that list of Al-Anon responses on me? I said, yes. They said, you probably shouldn't be doing that. I said, no. <laughs> they said, I don't like you much anymore. I said, wow. <laughs> it's amazing. With a, bit of, with a bit of practice, it's possible to stay in the conversation without involving myself. And people think you're a great conversationalist. Um, and that this has got me out of all sorts of, with my elderly mother, uh, this works very well. Just let her talk, gently, gently notice other interesting things to talk about. So I don't do a handbrake turn, but I do say, oh, look at that cat over there. And that's a very helpful way of, of not losing the patient, but not, not killing them either. Um, Ricky, would you like to come in? We've got oh, a couple more minutes. So, so let, let's make it a bit snappy, but Ricky, if you can come in with your question. Hi, I'm Ricky, I'm codependent overeater. Um, oh my gosh, Tim, you're, I, I love your sense of humor and your clarity. And um, as much as I'm in a little bit of a struggle with my higher power, um, he has directed me to this meeting because this is what I needed. Um, I just want to go back, if I may, to uh, someone had a question earlier about your thoughts turning into feelings. Um, it's actually, I couldn't articulate what I was thinking, but when he asked the question, it kind of like, oh, yeah, that's what you know, I needed to ask because, you know, when someone's knocking on the door, you see through the people who's knocking, you can choose not to open, but you, you start feeling stuff, you know, like, um, if it were to be my narcissistic mom, who I'm not opening the door to, I still start feeling scared, angry, resentful, blah, 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 blah. Right. And I can't control that. So, you know, um, yeah but what's your what's your advice yeah, i get i get what you're saying I, there's something i can say very briefly uh, on that um in my experience i mean people's I, i've never been anyone else so who knows but my sense is that the thought and the feeling go together the the feeling is like a little like an electrical charge attached to the thought when i'm feeling fear there is a thought there. It may be just below the surface such that I can't see it. Same with anger. And usually it's because something small has happened. And if you lift up the lid, there's a whole, there's a whole belief system 
in there. Now, in the moment, you can't do much about that. But if I have an emotional reaction to a situation which is untimely, disproportionate or inappropriate, I know that this situation is reminding me of something which is unresolved. And sometimes what I have to do is then go and do some, some proper inventory work with a sponsor to uncover what the false beliefs are, um, uh, which are giving rise to the fear. Because otherwise it, it's, it's a little bit like when um, you hit your elbow and you can feel all of the nerves in your arm light up because you've hit, you've hit some sort of point around your humerus. Uh, it's the same thing. A little thing happens and a whole network lights up like lightning or something. What I've got to do afterwards is, is use inventory to find out what are the beliefs which are leading me to respond with fear to these ordinary everyday situations or with anger to these ordinary everyday situations. And that can take a little while to uncover because the ego covers its tracks. But it's right that there is emotion involved this is why I need a clear head for the process. I can't be doing anything which is taking the emotion away because the emotion is the way into the labyrinth. In A Course in Miracles, there's a wonderful line. It, it says that uh, there, there is no such thing as a neutral thought. It will have a, a little charge of fear to it or it will have a charge of love to it. If I'm feeling love or I'm feeling fear, you can bet your bottom dollar there is a thought or a belief just below the surface, which is where the charge is coming from. The charges can't exist on their own. There is something there, but it all happens so rapidly. Sometimes you don't see the thoughts happening because they're so quick, but that's what inventory after the event can, can do. We've got uh, one more hand and there was one more question in the um, chat. So I think we probably, Patrick, better call it a day after that. So, so I, I'm gonna do the one in the chat first. How do I balance my habit of self-abandonment and self-obsession to healthy thinking of myself? Um, uh, a chap called Bob says that he recognizes balance when he swings past it. So I, get, I swing in different directions on different things. And it's only by a huge amount of practice that I find where the right point is. But a good tip that was given to me is uh, to know which side you generally lean. So because I'm generally a talker, if in doubt, I probably better shut up. People that almost never say anything, if in doubt, maybe this is a time to say something. People that I, I'm someone that, that, that historically did not get enough sleep, if in doubt, get more sleep. Because I know I'm someone that doesn't look after myself uh, naturally. Um, um, and last question, uh, Girija. Uh, hi, Tim. Thanks for your talk. Uh, I'll call it Girija. Uh, I'm from India, actually. Uh, I wanted to ask, actually, uh, uh, when I say that I'm not operating on self-will and God's will, whenever trying to train my mind to do something which uh, I'm not willing, Usually my mind fights back and I'm not able to do that thing correctly. And uh, my mind again goes to extremes. When I say my mind, it is my own intuition and own uh, reactionary mode. I never uh, can uh, sometimes control my emotions when I'm in a sport. So how do I, <laughs> what to do actually then? Yeah, that's a, a, a good question to uh, end on uh, today. Um, 
what's that line from the Kate Bush song? You have a temper like my jealousy or the other way around. I have a temper like your jealousy. Um, I, I'm very, very quick to anger. And um, when I got into recovery, I was basically, uh, if I'd been a Marvel character, I would have been reacto because I just reacted to everything violently, either positively or negatively. Um, I, I've been married for a few years. We've been together for 18 years. And uh, my other half has a tendency to be a little bit um, uh, boisterous in his emotions, particularly when I'm acting up. But we, we have this trick, which is we take ourselves quietly aside and wait until things have calmed down. And then we come back straight out of page, ooh, page 118 of the big book, that when things get heated, say it's the privilege of either to say, things got heated, things have got heated, let's reconvene later. Uh, when I'm all when I'm all upside down emotionally, this is not a good time to tell the tell the truth, uh, or you know, give people a piece of my mind, or try to solve problems. I need to be at complete peace to have difficult conversations and to get in, and to and to solve anything. And however long that takes is however long that takes. Um, uh, sorry here, uh, means uh, let's say I'm doing just that, but still what happens uh, once or twice, it's okay. My mind is taking that one. I'm not reacting at that point. I'm sometimes biting my own tongue, sometimes ev evading the time. But after twice or thrice, again, when the situation inevitable uh, arises, uh, I could not control. Yeah, I understand. Uh, and this is what I said earlier about the solution for me has been twofold. I've had to do the, 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 the firefighting in the moment, but then I've had to get a sponsor, do the steps to look at what is going on underneath, because that's the only way that real change gets brought about in the, in the long term. So I think that's enough of me tonight. Um, Patrick, would you like to come back? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Tim, do you want to stop the recording? Um, I'm not sure how to, I might mess it up.